0: Hi, I'm Miller, and welcome to the 13th episode of the Miller's Game Room podcast. In this episode, um, there's a few things planned, obviously gaming news, with lots of things to talk about, such as the state of play, Um, there's also a bit about what I've been playing, and finally, because the Nintendo Switch is five years old this month, there's going to be a ramble about that because the switch is amazing so little spoiler so yeah first off uh, if you're watching or listening to this on your streaming service of choice please leave like the usual likes comments favorites and usual algorithm boosting stuff to help boost me and this show thank you very much and secondly um on my uh, youtube channel miller's game room um i've done a couple of collection videos including a Switch collection video as of a few days ago. Check it out to uh, hear me around about the Switch which is relevant for today because well Switch. Um, and also thank you for those who've been watching stuff on there. I did that and the 3DS video and a video on the Switch sports which Nintendo uh, hasn't taken down because contrary to what's going on they don't actually enforce people breaking the Oh, you're not allowed to post on social media about whether you're actually going to be talking about the Nintendo Sports Online Playtest, but that's beside the point. Anyway, I'm going to start with the gaming news first, and I'm going to get the the Sierra stuff out of the way first. In terms of, um, for those who have been living under a rock, there's now an ongoing war in Ukraine because Russia has invaded Ukraine. I'm not going to go into what's going on with the that specifically outside of video games because, well, it's horrific to say the least, and it's triggering. There it does include like war crimes, so I'm avoiding that in here. But if you want to read up on it, it's, there's loads of content about it elsewhere. Basically, the gaming market in Russia has now been virtually destroyed almost overnight because. Um, Microsoft, Sony, Nintendo, Epic Games, Take-Two, CD Projekt Red and tons of other companies have basically pulled out largely because of sanctions and also because of the pressure to do so and that's basically killed the $4.6 billion market for Russian games and also to an extent like Belarus as well because well there's a rocket in Belarus. I mean World of Tanks is a Belarusian game. And that's whole, like, because Belarus is basically enabling it. It's basically if Belarus has been hit with sanctions too. So if you're in Russia or Belarus, you can't legally get anything now. The consoles and stuff are not being shipped there anymore. Services have been gone. It's just bad. And that's what I mean when I say a lot of it affects ordinary Russians because how many of these oligarch vermin are gamers I don't know, it's not like Mohammed bin Salman who heads Saudi Arabia which is also another brutal dictatorship who is actually a gamer, like the guy has a Steam profile and has actually, like, you, could, you can search it if you know his username because he actually is a gamer, but even then, like, also should mention while I'm talking about other dictatorships um, while the solidarity for Ukraine has been good there has been a notable lack of solidarity for similar invasions along the lines of, uh, Palestine and Yemen which um, Yemen is uh, un- under attacked by Saudi Arabia so just highlighting the uh, hypocrisy because it's really important to talk about that even though it doesn't make what what's going on in Ukraine anything less horrific. It also meant that Nintendo has delayed Advance Wars 1 plus 2 reboot camp for an undetermined release date basically because it's a, a war game because you've got tanks and that which are is quite insensitive considering what's going on, and also not the first time an Advance Wars game got delayed because there was the whole like let's delay Advance Wars one because that came out around the time of nine eleven originally, and that had to get delayed, understandably. Um, on more good news though, like a lot of people will see this Ukraine stuff and think, what can I personally do? Well, the reason why I've released this podcast like slightly early is because. On itch.io right now, there's the bundle for Ukraine. Give at least US ten dollars to get basically like almost a thousand like games and stuff until March seventeenth. It's like a thousand. I mean, it's still like tons of stuff. Like on the page, it's got over I mean, thirty eight pages. And yes, there's games, but there's also like tabletop RPGs and some even some dev kit resources as well. Like there's actually like sprite sheets and stuff as well. Um, some highlights include um, Celeste. Fantastic game, by the way. I love it. Favourite game ever in terms of indies. uh, Skatebird. uh, A tactical RPG called Thirsty Sword Lesbians. A Short Hike. Crosscode. 2064 Read Only Memories. Arcade Spirits. uh, Bury Me, My Love. Sundered. Minutes. The Girlfriend of My Girlfriend is My Friend. Another tactical RPG. And until, like, March 17th, you can participate in this. The old, the money, will be split 50-50 between... The International Medical Corps, which provides medical assistance in the region. And for Voices of Children, a Ukrainian organisation that helps children cope with the horrors of war, PTSD, readjusting back to school and getting back to being kids. So it's quite serious stuff, but it's all for a good cause and really good value for money. If for the games, like, you can donate at least $10, but they suggest to donate more. And they've already gone, like, over, like, millions of dollars already, which is really good. So... If that's one thing that, if you're reading this, have a little bit of spare money going, that's one thing you can do to help with the situation. I also especially emphasise that interview in the UK because of Brexit, red tape, basically means if you're trying to get things shipped to Europe, it's going to get held up on the border because of the EU uh, third borders controls, which is standard for all uh, non-EU member states, which I'm just saying because a lot of people in the UK have been in good faith sending items, but it just gets held up or can't be delivered, then it's just... Just donate money instead, if not to something like this, but to something else. Anyway, I said the heavy stuff would be first, and I'm going to not talk about that anymore. So, that's not going to hear anything more about the Ukraine, but I wanted to get it done first. Because, well, you know, I don't want to dwell on this, so. Moving on, we have the Sony to the State of Play. And um, I'm only going to talk about what interested me, because there's a lot there, and... First off, they said, focus on our Japan developers. And it's like, Sony are acknowledging Japan? And it's like, Sony have become increasingly like, we only care about the West in recent years. So it's like, the fact they're choosing to focus on Japan for this show to play was good indeed. Um, First up was a Ghostwire Tokyo now has a free-to-play companion vision novel out now, ahead of the game's release. So, yeah, I honestly didn't expect that game to have a companion visual novel so that sounds cool it's really good that that exists I'm not going to play it because I don't have a PS5 I don't have a PC whatever. well I do have a PC but I don't want to play Ghost Wild Turkey on PC and I don't even think my PC can run it but I don't know and that's not going to be for a long time anyway so anyway next thing was uh, Square Enix announced Valkyrie Elysium for PS5 PS4 PC due out later this year so Brand new Valkyrie Profile game, next entry in that series, it looked great, and uh, I like Valkyrie Profile Lenith, so this one does look like something I might potentially be into, so keep an eye on that. Other game that Square Enix announced that I was interested in is The Direfield Chronicle, real-time strategy RPG, so literally just after Triangle Strategy came out, they announced this next game, which is also dated for 2022. An interesting thing about this is that it's co-developed by Lancaster, which, if you know who they are, they're like a usually like a support studio or something like that. When they depending on what they work on, they help make um, the original Etrian Odyssey, um, 2, Persona Q2 as well from Atlas, Lost Dimension, which was a game that um, they developed with Fu Ryu, which is the company that also did the Alliance Alive, and most recently Monarch, which Lancaster did assist with that. And also we did a bunch of Japan-only licensed games as well, which is a long list, which um, I'm not going to cite here, but let's just say a lot of them feature Duraemon, and if you do look at the box arts, you might recognise them. Alright, uh, next up, um, there was the New Games Plus Expo announced for March 31st. This is a annual event that's been going since 2020, where the niche publishers get together and advertise their games together in this little combined event, which is I think is really cool, because... It's basically Nintendo Direct, but for these smaller companies like NS America, Idea Factory International, Axis Games, Playism, and some other companies like Natsume. And that's kind of the vibe. You get these smaller indie games. and If you're into like smaller scale games from those kind of companies and indie devs, it might interest you. And I'm not sure how what's going to come this year, because... I noticed that compared to the last couple of years, a lot, there aren't as many big names this time, like Sega and Atlas aren't there. And so it kind of potentially could be a bit lacking because of that. And also, not like No Spike Chunsoft or P or X So it might not be as good as I was hoping, but I'm still going to tune in because I think NYSA might announce Labyrinth of Galleria, which is, well, you know the layer. Most recent um, first-party Nipponichi software game to get released in Japan that's not a visual novel and hasn't been announced for the West yet so I think they'll probably pick it up. I hope to see like more VN stuff from NYSA, but I don't think I will because they have tons of Nipponichi software VNs that came out in the last couple of years they've not touched. I've talked about one of them through 3. No, through 4. I don't know 3, but it's not the point. And... Idea Factory might have Beerus, Hannah, and hopefully something else as well, it'd be nice, but... Well, I'm gonna just... I'll tune anyway, but I'm not expecting much. It's, um... I don't remember the exact time, I think it's, like... Um... It's definitely PT. I think it's, like, 10am or 2pm or... if way, it'll probably, like, late evening for me or something. I'll, I'll like... Oh, I don't remember, but... I'll, I'll make sure I, I'll re- talk, address it in the next one. Um... Also, uh, Chaos Head Noah and Chaos Child Bundle Pack coming west for Switch on October 7th. With a little Steelbook launch edition and some minor cosmetic DLC, which is uh, nothing of value, really. It's basically uh, cosmetic like costumes. It's basically very mild etchy and it's like, one, why, and two. Ugh, some people were complaining about censorship because one of the outfits isn't included. And uh, what I'm like is, uh, fuck off, mate. Either way, this is a Spike soft Inc. title, which they're publishing here. It was, it's the, Chaos Head Noah has never actually been released in English before. It's kind of was a notorious title for not being something that could be released in the West. And the rumor was that it was because of the engine. And as it suggests with their press release for the game, or if, not for even in Japan over here, it was using the new, like, Mage's engine. So I think what happened is when the game was re-released for Switch, it was ported as well. Um, so far, there's no news on other platforms, but I think Chaos Head Noah will eventually come to PC. Chaos Child has been out in English for several years now. It came out, um, I think it was in 2017 for PS4 and the Vita initially, and then by Transsoft Inc. Is brought it over to PC, which is um, a thing. So, you know. Um, finally, um, for. Um, Oh, no, I've got two things left. Um, first off, something queer-based. Uh, indie Game Haven from the Game Bakers added some same-gender couple alternatives, which is really cute. Look, free update with... Um, they added... Um, so, like, in the game, there's like a couple that's heterosexual, but you can basically alternate them, so you can either have um, which versions of you and K to play as, so instead of it being a straight couple, you can have a lesbian or gay relationship, It's really cool. I've not played uh, Haven. I want to play it, but I definitely want to now. I remember a while ago there was a limited run games physical release that went up, which um, I'm kind of hoping has been delayed so this can be included on it for preservation's sake. But I don't know what happened with that because I wasn't able to get it, even though I'd like to track it down someday and play this game. So, you know, I hope um, it's the hype is worth it because it can be game games, which is fucking amazing. And I have tears in my eyes, because being gay is fucking cool. Alright, finally, the last uh, bit of gaming news, which is a uh, going to be a bit of a joke. Um, Babylon's full. That's it, that's the joke. It's out. It's a, It exists. You can walk into a game shop and buy this physical copy. A week after Elden Ring came out. And there were no reviews. And there were only 650-odd people playing on Steam during launch day. And it was revealed to be a live service game with really bad, like, design. And it's funny. It's really funny. Because, well, first off, there's a it, that obviously I do feel a bit sorry for the devs on the ground who likely didn't have any say in these terrible decisions that were made to basically have it to be live service shit. But Square Enix and Platinum Games are basically like, oh, we want to try to broaden out into live service and crap like that where... Fuck longevity. Let's just uh, turn this game into a uh, fee-to-play microtransaction economy that only favors those willing to put in money, or those coerced into putting money for addicted gameplay design, which is quite common for neurodivergent people. Which is also why I don't play games like this. And and it's just fuck fuck single player campaigns and fuck that kind of thing. So all I've got to do is uh, laugh. So uh, just imagine the obnoxious Tiddus laugh from Final Fantasy X. I act as if I've played the game to completion and I haven't because I got put to sleep because 2000 Square Enix cutscenes that are unskippable is just literally draining on me. But um, anyway. Ah ha 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 ha. Ah ha 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 ha. I'm moving on. Um, Either way... um, It's for the best, so I am uh, looking forward to it coming out that it's absolutely bombed and hopefully Square Enix and Platinum Games will be like, oh shit, moving to this is not a good idea. And then it just continues the trails of stinkers that Square Enix put out, like uh, Marvel's Avengers, uh, Outriders, which apparently was semi-decent. And also there were microtransaction stuff in uh, Chocobo GP, which came out this week, which I've not fully looked into, so I've not covered it here, but yeah, apparently that's not very good either. But at least that game got a physical version in Europe, which is more than I expected for Square Enix when it comes to niche games. But moving on to st- what I've been playing. So um, I have played uh, video games. So the first one is uh, the demo for Kirby in the Forgotten Land. So uh, first off, it's cute. It's Kirby. It's laughing 3D. The visuals are nice and colourful. It's such a vibrant world. It's basically Kirby combined with Super Mario 3D World. So if you've played Super Mario 3D World or even Super Mario 3D Land, you'll know what the structure is. It's basically like a um, 2D, 3D plane. The, there's a linear course. So it's not open world. So it's not like Mario Odyssey, for example. And you can go around the levels. There's optional goals like... like um, finding hidden items and like blowing them off a garage door and stuff like that and hidden tasks and hidden waddle dees and it's really cute and there's a boss at the end which is cool but there's a harder difficulty as well which I tried and it's not that much harder but I'll play on it so I do like it and I do want to play the full game don't happen I'd like to play the full game but when it'll happen I don't know uh, also, uh, here must die. this was a game that I was posting screenshots of on my Twitter, uh, game Ga when I'm not getting uh, not talking about games or politics or not showing love to my friends and uh, chosen family. I am um, posting screenshots of video games and that was one I was posting. Uh, this is an um, an rpg from Shoji Masuda, the creator of Orika. Um, also um, before I continue I need to put a content warning because this game does have themes of death and the funerals so it's not like not heavy but it's It's noticeable it's it's kind of like a P12 ESRBT territory nothing really dark but the protagonist basically he's gone and killed the demon lord and after he's defeated the demon lord he has five days to get affairs in order. Which is basically, you've got five days to sort your shit out. And in other ways, you've got to send him for good. And um, it starts off really overpowered, but over time it gets weaker to the point where it's, it can't be much, basically. And it's interesting because the game is built on replayability. So you replay each run. You've got a limited amount of time between like the five days to do as much as you can, to do the side quests, to, like help soul of so affairs because you've got to play a game multiple times to get the endings. And talking to characters and doing a certain quest for their characters means that they may join your party. And when they will join your party. And you can become more powerful so the demon gets weaker. Not demon, the um the protagonist gets weaker. The guy the characters can join the party and can compensate accordingly. And you can start building stuff. And um, yeah, it's really unique because every ending you change, it subtly changes the story. And then at the end of the game, when you've done your run, you get like tallies on what ending do you get? You have, you have the funeral where the guy's either in the grave or depending on what ending you get in the, the church. And you the people that you meet come up to you and often leave tributes or negative comments depending on what happened in the game. And at the end, you get an account on the mourners and people in tears, which um, is interesting. It's it's quite unique for having a game with endings like that, and there is like a true ending where you can kind of like go through the process of um, getting all these items so that the heroes like curse can actually be broken. So the hero actually lives on, which is interesting um it's interesting i really like it it's really it's such a unique spin on rpgs like i um played orishika in the past i have the beta version of tainted bloodlines because that's the only orishika game we got in the west that version did get a physical in asia which i do have and uh much like hero must die it's also it's really hard to find because the hero must die physical was via limited run because that was actually a game that i had in my switch collection video and I hadn't played it, I was like, you know what, I think I'll play this. So I've got something to play while I've got time, before late in the year Xenoblade comes out, and I play nothing but Xenobay 3. So, it's going to be quite interesting. And it was. Uh, the gameplay was good, like, the battle system is quite simple. It does get more complicated when your hero does get weaker, because, like, the, at the start, it's like, try to do the hard bosses now, and you can them and have the help of a really overpowered hero or you can do it later while you will have more party members you'll have a weak hero who won't be able to do as much and actually starts forgetting skills and it's quite unique aside from that the battle system is fairly basic-ish but that's fine um, music-wise um, in many ways it's quite similar to actual because there's an FN synth and a remixed orchestrated synth and you can switch between them which is really cool um, visually um, it is low budget Bear in mind this game Hero Must Die was originally a mobile phone game from two thousand seven and then it was fully remade for the Vita and was published initially in Japan physically for the Vita by Nipponichi Software which is how I come to know of its existence and that never came over so the fact it came over later via Deku Games for the Switch, PS4 and Steam is a really good thing. It's you can tell it was originally a Vita game, like a lot of these like Vita games I'm glad to see it getting a second chance. I would recommend you play it to get a guide because if you don't know where to get all the items, you will spend a lot of time um, basically trying to get items and you're not trying to get them, which basically all while your hero gets weaker. So I'd suggest for your first route time through the game to play it like, don't look at a guide and just do what you can explore to get a feel for it. But then future endings and future runs, use a guide. All right, and on to the main part of this episode, the topic where I'm going to do a little uh, retrospective on the Switch, because it came out um, six years ago, 2017, 18, 19, 21, 22, uh, no, five years ago, it doesn't matter, but long time, million selling console now, which is really, really cool. That's always to be appreciated with uh, in video games, because very few consoles make it to the hundred million sold mark especially consoles that are as good as the switch so i am going to talk about my experience of it and my little story if that makes sense and i'm hoping that uh people can share their memories too because the switch is incredible so uh, first off um i got my console since like late 2017 so around like christmas time was when i actually like had the console and could like fully check it out because at the time actually this was during my year abroad in japan so even if i got a console i wouldn't have been able to take it to japan like i could have done but it was a bit too you know risky taking a console at half across the world and i um instead took my my leader at the time i think and i did i got to play a few things on there including the incredible taro in the mask of truth but it's not on switch which um i'll get onto later actually um, so I took the other consoles, and we're still getting games for the Switch, actually, so even though I didn't have a Switch yet, I was still getting games for it to actually play when I got it, because I was building a little collection. It went back as far as, like, Cave Story. So technically I was getting games since the console came out virtually, except I later went on to sell Cave Story, because fuck Inner Callis. and also the game was kind of eh for me, but that's a whole other thing. Um... So, I um, was very excited, and I've got a kind of unique little story on the Switch, because I'd actually like had a bit more experience with the Switch before it came out, so to speak, which I'll get onto in a second. So as anyone will know, Nintendo did a, um, like a worldwide reveal like stream on the Switch, what it was, and showing some of the games it would launch with, and I tuned in, I watched it live, and I was basically sold on it straight away. For a few reasons, um, although it was because of the software, also the hardware appealed to me. The old hybrid system, be able to take it on the at home and out and on the go. Because at the time I had moved to largely portable gaming, and obviously with portable gaming at the time, it was basically you got the three DS, which was still doing well, but it was starting to age. It was basically GameCube era hardware that wasn't that was kind of like. You had to develop exclusively for it or make a lot of downgrading, which a lot of companies now that didn't want to do, even though it was cheap to do so. And you have, then you had the Vita, which... Now, I love the Vita, but at that point, it was basically, like, in terms of mainstream appeal, declining. Like Now, I think 2017 was like the last year we began to get really major games for it. Like I mentioned, Uta Romano, But Also, like Summer Night 6 was one as well, and a bunch of other games as well. It was around that time and after that it would fade out and it was already something where a lot of companies had largely moved on from it because of the sales which is fine and like the Vita is great but there needed to be a replacement and Sony wasn't willing to provide the replacement because well the Vita is well the Vita and they made that decision You may not agree with it but that was a decision they made but it did leave a gap and the switch will fill that gap and I saw that straight away as for software I was interested in a lot of the games revealed because it was very much a um, there were two broad themes in the stream for what I remember it was like multiplayer games um, first party Nintendo and also RPGs lots and lots of RPGs and the main things that really stuck out to me were Mario Odyssey which was kind of for me like the game I wanted to play first of all, because that was the 3D Mario. I hadn't played a 3D Mario since uh, 3D Land. I didn't play 3D World until much later, until the Switch port came out actually. Uh, also, Xenoblade Chronicles 2, which looked incredible. I really liked it and what I saw, and it was coming out like that year. Like, wow. Uh, Dragon Quest XIS, which I was also really looking forward to, which, um, I think at the time, like, it was just confirmed to just be coming. It just was confirmed to exist, basically. If I remember correctly, at the time, there wasn't even information on the Japanese release. Or any release for, like, the the PS4 version and the 3DS version. I don't fully remember, but at the time, it was like... uh, I don't fully remember, but at that time, it was... Still kind of up in the air what was going on with Deco XIS, so for me, it was like, I'm glad it's coming, and I'm glad because I wanted to get that, and I much like Xenoblade, those games are fantastic. And also SMT5, which uh, was just announced, it was basically Atlas dropping this, like, we're developing this, like, like far too early, but it was there, and it definitely, like, uh, piqued my interest significantly, which I'm really chuffed to have, was interest and it is where my story gets more interesting because i actually won a little competition by Nintendo of the UK to actually be able to like go to london and try the switch demo at the uh, hands on world premiere which was really cool it was a facebook competition where for things like you commented and you'd be a chance to win and stuff and yeah i won it and i could bring bring someone so i brought a uh, relative at the time and which basically, let's take the train to London, let's go down to the uh, Hammersmith Apollo, which is uh, right in the centre of London, and go to this this venue that Nintendo hired out for this event, queue up outside, and basically get to try the, the same demos that the press did just before. So the actual venue had the event for like, kind of like four days, I think. So there were two days for the press. now if you were a games journalist you would have likely been invited to attend on these press only events to give everyone more time to actually check out the games and demos whereas for the other two days it was for the competition so the public were invited from the people who won to come down and try these games hands on and it was a really unique experience and basically i went down there it was it was kind of like you're going to like a convention venue in a lot of ways like it was basically kind of like you go like, Comic-Con or see, like, pictures of, like, trade throws, like, E3, Gamescom. It was basically like that. You had, like, the venue was customised with all these carpets and stuff and these hanging things from the ceiling to show Nintendo stuff with Switch logos everywhere. There was a Mario and Luigi in suits, which was cool. Um, there were custom setups for these games, like, cushions and little portable tables where these Switches were docked, like... I believe they were like test kits and stuff like that it's like specific mo- units modeled specifically for these world premieres because the uk had some but not everywhere basically so this was before the switch came out and before i went to japan which was in the summer so that's why i didn't get them <laughs> until like christmas and stuff so being able to go have this little experience was really cool i got to try out Breath of the Wild for like 15 minutes. The demo was actually timed for 15 minutes, so I could only have like 15 minutes on it, which was really cool. And I liked it. Like, I liked it enough to possibly play more, but not like, oh my God, I must get this now. Day one. It was, it was interesting. Uh, Also, there was Splatoon 2, but I didn't try that because the queues for that were really packed. Like, so packed that I think I would have been waiting at least an hour to try one round of it. There's also 1-2-Switch test kits where, like, there were, like, a bit in the centre, like a circular-shaped, like, structure where you have the various different games that were shown for 1-2-Switch, like, demoed there, which was really cool to, like, look at. And actually try out some, which was really interesting. And then there's some others, like, a bunch of third-party stuff as well. There was... I mean, the most one I remember was for, like... If it was a title that came out around the Switch's launch, it was there, basically, including Disgaea 5. And interestingly, when I went up to, like, a Disgaea 5 booth, they asked me if I was at least 12 years old. I'm guessing because at the time, I might have, like, not looked 12 years old, but I found that quite weird. But it was like, oh, it's the most mature game we've got. We have to double check you're 12. And it's like, okay, so that was interesting. That's when I first tried Disgaea, and uh, it was kind of weird being, like, at this trade show. Event and alongside these big Marios and stuff, you've got the guy going for this game. Oh, sup, dudes! And just seeing like Prini and stuff like that at this event, which was quite cool. And the other thing as well was, uh, as I could get, as I at the time was considering entering games journalism, which so to be able to go to an event like this was like really cool because was basically like this is what I would do if I was a games journalist. And what anyone listening to this is, is a games journalist or one of you will also do. So I found it quite interesting in that way as well. I later didn't go into games journalism by the way because uh, that's a whole other thing but basically I'd be doing that that same kind of thing which uh not paid and or crap pay and just lack of progression which uh, is something else but with things like the Switch and digital codes for review games it makes it a lot more accessible compared to like the 90s and the 2000s where you had to do things in person and get physical like test copies of games which are yeah and there is some overlap because there are test kits and modified units that people do use to like like at these shows have these modded units specifically to show off demos but you also get copies to use at home for like better testing and developing and also playing finished builds on for review it's interesting and that's kind of like a cool little experience to try this thing and and I tried it hands-on as well obviously and I was kind of like oh wow I, I really want to play this and like if I wasn't sold before I was definitely sold then and it was like oh I'll just work to get it and start get it at Christmas so that's basically started from there started putting money towards it and uh getting games where I could and so I'd have a nice little collection to start with when I finally got it which uh is cool and yeah, that's just the the start of it. I have a second part. If this is basically why I like the Switch, basically, because obviously I was actually, I was sold straight away. But actually playing the thing is different because obviously like there's more stuff to have on this thing. Once you have it, and it had a chance to be successful, and it's been extremely successful, uh, things I love about the Switch. Um, Basically combining the best parts of the Wii U and the PS Vita while also fixing their flaws. So, like, games, for a start, the the Switch has first party support while also having first-party support, including ports of old games from the Wii U and 3DS, which was really cool. And and in terms of third-party support, like, it basically combined all the worlds that I've I, what, liked from other consoles and on the for Switch Vita, like PS3, 3DS, etc., so, like... Nintendo first party, third party support from Japanese devs, uh, visual novels, because at the time visual novels tended to not be on Nintendo platforms. Like There were some on like, a DS and the 3DS, and even a few on Wii, but generally they tended to stay away and move to like, PlayStation, if they were not on PC only. And then of course, that's all changed with the Switch, it's basically the de facto platform for VNs in Japan and in the West, Outside of PC and mobile, of course, because they're their own little individual ecosystems. Uh, also indie games, where like, the Switch was like Nintendo's most indie-friendly platform ever, which was incredible. Uh, Western AAA games, to an extent, like there were lots of ports. Not so much now, because now the PS4 and the series are out. It's basically, you know, well, the Switch isn't powerful enough for all these really powerful games. Coming out and made now, which is fine. Limited physical market, which is basically like the limited one games, special reserve games, East Asia Soft, PlayAsia, LineUp, that kind of thing. Started on the Vita, it's moved over to the Switch, and the same audience that would buy these limited physicals on the Vita and the PS4 to a lesser extent are also on the Switch, which is really, really cool. And on a related note, import market for Asian English physical releases. Like, these always kind of existed in the past a bit. Like, obviously, the Vita and the PS4, but even things as far back as like the PSP with Final Fantasy 3's Japanese physical version having English text, and on the PS3 having like a, a copy of, I think it's called Rain or something, where there was a first party PlayStation title that got a physical in Asia, but not in the West. Like, it always happened a bit to, in the past, but it kind of exploded in the last like five or six years with like. Lots of import titles appearing, like Super Wars, getting English releases in Asia, and now the West, digitally. Square Enix RPGs, like the Saga remasters, Final Fantasy physicals, and a ton of other things as well. And like multi-language VNs, like from Prototype, which um, you've gone on the eShop, you'll find the vast majority of the of those Prototype VNs there have physical versions in Japan with English text, and just things like that. Atelier bundle pack releases and re-releases in Asia and just stuff like that. It's incredible. And especially so many are like re-releases of older games. So they're actually like, in many cases, like more affordable than the actual old originals themselves, which is incredible. And I love it. And I wish I could get more of these import physical VNs because they're, well, that one, they're incredible. And two, I want physicals. And three, they're often more quality life releases and, Having this little shelf of games that really like embodies my taste would be cool. And being able to have this blend of everything is just incredible. Obviously like HD portability, like on the Vita was a huge draw, as well as like the OLED, which is on the OLED switch and having had an OLED Vita, I know that's amazing. It was also like better in terms of like memory cards, like they weren't proprietary memory cards, you could just get any old SDHC card from the shop and use that which is really cool and it's just really cool like you can like getting digital is more viable on the the, the switch than the Vita whereas the Vita it's like you had to pay for overpriced memory cards or track down physical games which it was often better for the uh, physical space on the console's SD card to go physical even if you want to go digital whereas if the switch if you wanted to go digital it's much more affordable even though I still wouldn't anyway. And finally, for these last two little points for this list, I'm also going to annoy Nintendo because, yes, Switch emulation is a thing now. Like, five, six years later, emulation is a thing for the Switch. You can already, like, play games on the Switch quite well and via emulation. Although, that, unfortunately, that does allow for piracy and you shouldn't be pirating current gen games. And that is something that I do kind of Agree with like you can still get them affordably physically, and it's like if you can get them legitimately, you shouldn't be pirating them. But at the same time, the fact that emulation exists means despite what Nintendo thinks, long term preservation for Switch games is firmly on the table. And when, when they finally discontinue support for Switch games, you can then you can pirate them. But also, fan translations are starting to pop up, so I have kind of looked at like GBA temps and stuff like that before starting this recording. And there are a few things, like, for example, a fan translation in progress for the Tsukihimi remake, which is on Switch now for the first part and probably will not come to the West. Uh, there are translation patches in the works for the Umineko and Higurashi Switch versions, so the When They Cry games, which came out like on the Switch a while ago. And honestly, I was hoping they'd get localised, but at this point, they're probably not going to. Umineko Gold was actually announced for a PC localization. But this was like literally years ago now, like at least like 2019. And it's still not been out and it's basically been dead for like two years at least. So it's not happening at this point. And also uh, Dockupon Up, which is the, um, the Upon cross Utah game from Aqua Plus. So, yeah, I did mention Aqua Plus earlier with Mask of Truth and uh one on the topic of that. Pretty much all the devs I was hoping to have moved over to Switch now, like NIS, Atlas, Falcon, Nintendo, Indie Games, uh, even Idea Factory to a lesser extent, it will be stuff. Uh Aqua Plus is a sole outlier. Like they did release the Dog Upon up game, but that's the only thing they released, and only in Japan. But I, just, I really want to see other games like White Tavern 2, um the Utah series obviously, the to Tiara games on Switch, and even better in English, so I suspect it will happen starting this year because you can't ignore a 100 million plus selling console, you just can't. Especially in Japan because there's no really no real alternative and the PS5 is basically uh, not really selling. So, and even the Xbox Series X is outselling the Xbox 1 in Japan now, which is uh, something I suppose. And yeah, I would have uh, I actually thought saw such potential early on, I was considering having a, uh, a full VN collection for physical VNs on the Switch, which are uh, I haven't done by the way because one money and two I'd have to have a couple of really problematic turds in the collection which I really don't want to have um, and yeah I just abandoned that But I kind of summed up Whereas if I'd been able to really get on board with collecting Switch games which uh, hasn't happened as much as I wanted to because of various extenuating circumstances I'd probably have closed like 100 games easily because that's how much I love the thing I would have happily like gone for like collecting every single game I wanted if like my circumstances were different and I had like more stable like income where I could like spend get these games all day one and just have shelves full of Switch games because I just love a handheld that much. It combines everything that I've wanted basically. And that's amazing and and also the fact that I haven't I like I love the Switch but I have also missed a lot of games on it but I've wanted to play because I've been playing backlog games from other formats, like on the 3DS for example, I've been playing through RPGs I missed out on. So it means games like the Cross Zone games from last year, like, no, only the first one, but second one's this year, hopefully. Um, and there's also, like, h stuff, the um, Radiant Astoria, S&T, uh, Stellar Glow, 7th Dragon 3, all these other RPGs I missed out on, and some of which will probably never come to Switch. But it's still, like, it's worth it to play old games as well. And hoping to fully dig into the new Switch stuff as well. Like, I've not actually played um, any of the Square Enix stuff on it. Apart from Dragon Quest XI, so, you know, I'm a, a fake gamer for not playing Square Enix RPGs, so that's a thing. Um, also, like, other games that have noteworthiness to me, and the memories I've got associated with them. Um, first off, like a lot of people, I played Animal Crossing during lockdown one, during the onset of the coronavirus pandemic. Which, on a related note, is still game by the way. It's not over, whether you like it or not. Just saying. Um, also, due to personal circumstances as well, where I was basically, and uh, not in a very good living situation to put it mildly, and incredibly still been able to hold on to my Switch collection and other games despite that, which uh, I'll always be eternally grateful for. And I also meant I had my Switch, so when I was needing to look after myself, my own sanity, I could play something like Animal Crossing or backlog RPGs on the Switch. And other platforms I also mean games like Zelda Bay 1 and 2, Drainquest 11S, SMT5, uh, East Eight as well. And also been able to try other games, some of which I liked, some of which I don't like as much, but I'm still glad I got to try them, like Splatoon 2, X Machina, banjo Switched version, which is currently only exclusive to Japan, uh, Celeste Golf Story, so much more, just incredible games. Uh, I will also be like there are flaws so before I finish because it's important to acknowledge that it's not perfect like Joy-Con Drift which is a whole thing that people have talked about extensively already the other one is uh, Forksicles which is basically code in a box so you go into a game store and you see that there's a switch case and on it says download required or download code only no physical game card is included and it's like why allow these? You shouldn't allow these because it's a waste of manufacturing material. And part of it is because Nintendo themselves made uh cart sizes too expensive if they're like sixty four gig and because of that publishers deliberately choose to take the cheap route and not release a physical version. Or have a here's the majority of the game on the cart. If you wanna play the rest you've gotta download this patch and it's a lot of the ways it kind of defeats the point of having a physical version, and it's infuriating because I feel like that the the the, the pieces for the carts need to go down because that's what creates that situation. But also, I think the forksicles should be banned, like Nintendo going, you're not allowed to do forksicles. Like having something like a little voucher, like we did with like the the eShop cards and certain games like the 3DS and Wii U, like that's fine, but not a whole physical case. With a with a cover and even a manual or things like that, but not a physical game like that's just pointless. But yeah, um, I'm gonna finish this particular section up now. Uh, the future for the Switch is overall very bright. I think it will be around to at least 2025, most likely longer. And I think it will actually outsell the PlayStation Two. The PlayStation Two is like 165 million copies sold, which is a lot for a games console. Uh, the DS is second place, and that's not too far behind the PS Two actually. So. The way Switch is going, I think it will eventually outsell it, and then it will become the the true best-selling console of all time, outdoing basically everything. And that is going to be absolutely incredible, not just for uh, Nintendo, but for everyone as a whole who likes video games. And it deserves it, because it's a fantastic console with a game that's on it that's literally something for everyone. Even if you only play Animal Crossing, like a lot of people I know do, you've still found a game for you. If you play JRPGs, you've got something for you. Western RPGs, there's something for you too. Western AAA games, Nintendo first party games, there's something for everyone. And that's why I love about the Switch. It's cool. And yeah, um, I have done a Switch collection video on my like, channel, which um, I'll also plug in the replies again as well, like I think I mentioned it at the start, but go watch it, you get to see ramble about Switch games. Also did a, a 3DS video I did a while ago, which um, a few weeks ago, still getting hits and clicks on it, which is really cool. So yeah, go watch that if you haven't already. If you haven't like, already, like, liked, comment, subscribe. Give five-star ratings, the usual, on your platform of choice. And please do, helps the show out and this show grow and become even better than it already is. I hope that's how you feel about it anyway. And thank you so much for spending your time listening to Miller's Game Room Podcast, episode 13. Have a great day. Bye-bye.